0: Oh Are you working on something new?
1: This is a language. Why don't we just sit and read this and see what the music is. I photography comes in. And so I'm to provide a
0: fact is something that
1: only exists in your work.
0: Is that TNN? I just... I I guess, yeah, I guess we are great. But I also like, when you're at a stop, this the first podcast
1: episode. Yeah. Did you record it? Yeah. Welcome, and thank you for joining something new a musical theater podcast where i joel b new invite an exceedingly talented friend over we chat a bit and then we learn and record a song from one of my latest projects which we end up premiering right here for your listening pleasure today's guest artist is an actress and voice text dialect coach Her bio is filled with an array of cool projects, most recently as the dialect coach on the Tony award-winning musical Kinky Boots, and as an actor in Exit Pursued by a Bear's Danny Girl. She is a 2013 Ernie and Elliot Norton nominee for her role as female soloist in Speakeasy Stage Company's production of Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson, has collaborated with such respected theater companies as The Flea, The Pearl, Prospect Theater, The Cell, and is the dialect coach on the new Maltby and Shire musical, Behind the Painting. She can currently be seen in Empirical Rogue's Suicide, (laughs) and is the voice and text director on the upcoming Mysteries at the Flea. Obviously, I'm talking about Amy Jo Jackson. Amy Jo Jackson, (laughs) welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well, thank you. Good, good. I, I was halfway through your bio, and I remembered that you... Our text coach and I was like, I hope I'm like. giving Everyone her... always
2: gets so self conscious when they like. Oh, as soon as you walk in the room, I all of a sudden I'm so aware of how I'm speaking. I'm like, well, good. I suppose, I suppose that's a good thing. <laughs>
1: do you do you find it hard to kind of turn that off, or is that? Um, is that when thing? I'm
2: when I'm seeing something, yes. I mean, it's difficult not to be working all the time. But if I'm if I'm on a project where I don't know, I do a lot of um. I've done a lot of readings and workshops these days. And so, you know, if, if I'm working in, in knowing that I'm going to be giving the client notes afterwards, then it's very much switched on. But when I know that this is like it, and I'm just here to be like a support system in the room, I try and kind of turn that off and just like send energy their way rather than having like, it's not that I don't hear it. It's just, I'm, I'm thinking in an affirmative, like let's hit this consonant cluster and blah, blah, nerd things, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know nerd things. Yes,
2: yes, I'm sure you do.
1: (laughs) Um, So I wanted to start off with the most important question: Mm. How often are you confused for (laughs) Amy Joe Johnson? (laughs) (laughs) For Amy Joe Johnson, the original Uh, Pink Ranger from the Mighty Morphin, subsequently
2: on Felicity, lest we forget, you know. Oh, Um, I did forget. Oh. I mean, I can't.
1: Uh... <laughs> Did you, you actually knew what my question was going to be? No, but no. you said that. You're like, How many, I it? was like,
2: it's going to be the Pink Panther <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, never in real life because, come on. Remember yeah. when she's like 42 and a tiny person and I am 30 and a giant? But um, whenever I comment on... It'll happen a lot on Facebook when people just see the name. Or if like I get put into a cast list or something like that and people will... Be Facebook stalking, and they'll Mm -hmm. see the name and like, oh my gosh! So I'll comment on someone's photo or something, and then a few comments later, about once every six months will appear. I got so excited because I thought you knew the Pink Power Ranger, and then I realized it's different. I was like, you could have not just private messaged your friend that you got to put on there. know (laughs) I'm gonna see it. Um, But I get that a fair amount in person, like. It, it's funny. That, that is, is amazing. amazing. I, yeah. I almost didn't go with Amy Jo Jackson professionally because of that.
1: Really? Yeah. Because of the Pink Power Ranger.
2: Yeah, and it's a similar name. Very know? similar. Um, but Amy Jackson, um, which is my my real name, um, was I I like the the sound of it and the feel of it, but it just doesn't have quite the oomph When you put the Joe in there, you get that double J in that text nerd. And Joe Jackson It has a little bit more velocity to it, so I finally was like, that's how everyone knows me anyway, I'll just do that. And then it's become a running gag. (laughs) Confused? Not really, but... uh... I'm I'm
1: glad glad I caught on to it. Oh yes, Yes. oh yes. (laughs) (laughs) You heard the call to be a performer at at a pretty early age. Is that... I've
2: never really wanted to do anything else to my memory. There was a, I went through a phase in elementary school where I thought I might like to be a zoologist because I liked animals. Mm-hmm. And then I found out in fifth or sixth grade I'd have to take a lot of science classes. And I thought, well, that's unrealistic. So yeah. I'm going to do the realistic one, which is that I could be a professional <laughs> actor. Because I knew myself at a young age.
1: <laughs> and that's amazing. So, so how and when did you discover your passion for playing with dialects?
2: Um, I've always been a good mimic. You know, and I've sung since I was in preschool and church choirs and things like mm-hmm. that. So, like, I've always been very good at matching and mimicking sounds and styles and that sort of thing. And then the first musical I ever did that was like a, a real musical and not like a Christmas pageant type thing mm-hmm. was Oliver. And I was, was Charlotte Sowerberry. Was it really? Yeah. It's a good one. It's, it's a good, it's, it's a, a lot good, good stepping stone. Yeah. I was Charlotte Sourberry. I was the rose seller and I was a member of Fagan's gang. So, um, I was <laughs> all over that show, but yeah, I mean, so uh, Cockney was really the first accent I remember formally <clears throat> learning at eleven, yeah. <laughs> like just by watching yeah. the movie. That's all I did. I just watched, I just watched Ron Moody in that movie over and over <laughs> and over. And,
1: and, uh, how can you
2: not? How can you not? And Oliver Reed. Um, huh. But uh, <laughs> then I don't know. I was just always some. I watched so many movies. I watched a lot of British. Um, TV shows on VHS. My parents were really big into a bit of Fry and Laurie and Jeeves and Wooster, So I mm-hmm. remember watching those obsessively like in middle school and I just always liked to sound like that. You can ask any member of my family. There was a phase where I just basically sounded like a British person all the time. Uh-huh. And I didn't even, it got to a point where I wasn't really aware of it, <clears throat> which I think was frustrating for my, my brother especially. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, and then it was just something like as I did more and more theater, it became something more and more like, oh well, we have Amy do that because she can throw an accent in there or whatever, you know. I did Brigadoon and My Fair Lady in high school so I had a lot
1: of Did they pick those shows accents. for you? Were you one of those kids that they no, picked the shows around you? No,
0: no,
2: no. But I was very um, manipulative and oh my <laughs> um, it's almost better. Right? I'm just smart about it. Um, My junior year you, everyone had to re-audition for choir for some reason, even though oh, they wow. knew you were going to get back in. Yeah. But so you had to just bring in a song. You could bring in any song. And I really wanted to do My Fair Lady. So <laughs> I got my whole posse of friends, who most of us were ones that were going to be up for leads anyway. I was like, let's all sing songs for My Fair Lady. So we had like four boys go in, on the street where you live. We had like two go in with Higgins songs. Like three of us went in with Eliza wow. songs. And wow. then he picked My Fair Lady. I'm like, that wasn't difficult <laughs> 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 to just... Oh, I don't know what's a so good... I, that's Ooh. me giving an impression of my... A teacher in and her, oh well, I have an idea
1: yeah what accent is that <laughs> it's <laughs>
2: just the Barry Roberts accent <laughs> oh I know um, we just you know how you do impressions of teachers so um, so they didn't pick it for me but you better believe that I yeah,
1: you had bend a, you that had a to hand my will that. yes
2: <laughs> that was fun
1: um, so how do you think your parallel career as a dialect coach has impacted the work you're getting as a performer speaking of mm-hmm. hmm.
2: I really believe that work begets work And when you're, I I can't speak to what it's like to do a completely different facet of being in the field. Like, I know some people who are actors and also set designers. I certainly know a lot of actor costume designers, and that seems to make an easier switch in people's minds, I think, Mm -hmm. because, like, costume designers are often very, like, very uh, visibly artsy, whereas, like, a set designer is not somebody you think of as also being an actor. Um, although I do know people who do both, but like with a fight choreographer, fight director, I know a lot of fight directors who are also actors, and I know a lot of voice and speech people who are also actors. Or it certainly started as actors, and because you have to use your body and you have to use your voice and you have to communicate in that way, it's, I think it's easier for people to make a connection there. That like, yeah, this person's a performer. They don't just do this one thing. Like, yeah. Um, so I, I mean, I think anything that you're doing with with regards to like deepening helping someone else deepen their work, to have to articulate that to someone else has certainly made me better learning how to deepen my own work or it certainly made me be more on the ball and catch myself in other situations. I'm like, man, if I'm saying that all the time to this client, I, I hear it more readily mm-hmm, when I catch mm-hmm. myself doing it. And then, um, you know, working hard as an actor, like I have more to draw upon to be like, oh, I can help you out with this situation because I know this is a difficult passage because I, I did this or I did something like this. So yeah. this is a trick I used. So it's very helpful for me. They both feed one another with regards to the actual work itself. And then as far as getting work, you know, people want to work with people they know and they like, you know, and, um... And you're very likable. Thanks! <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you know, so I think if, if you know and trust someone in one capacity and they show up and they're a good employee, it's easy to make the leap that they're probably also a good employee and easy to work with in the, in the other capacity as well.
1: Do you feel that your... So you have this dialect niche? Do, mm-hmm. do you feel like that Ever expands or limits the opportunities that come your way as a performer?
2: As a performer,
1: no. People like there's the accent girl.
2: You know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't really know. I I would say I'm more if I'm if I have been um pigeonholed at all has been as a multi character track performer um hmm. rather than just someone who does accents. I do a lot. I have a ton on my resume that's accent heavy, but. More than that, I have a lot of so-and-so, so-and-so at all, so-and-so, so-and-so at all. I have a lot of those, Mm -hmm. um, which is is really fun and I really enjoy doing, but it's nice to have done a few parts now where I've been able to track one character's arc over the course of an entire piece rather than coming out and playing eight different characters. I love that kind of virtuosic element of that, but um, I would say that is more something I've kind of fallen into a trap with, with to casting, which accents and voices are definitely a big part of that. Yeah. Yeah. making big, broad, splashy choices to differentiate from one one to the the other.
1: What's your favorite dialect to do or coach?
2: I love coaching... (laughs) I love coaching RP, which is upper-class, standard British, because it is the one I do the most and have done the most growing up. So it's, like, the easiest for me, and I just, like, really love living in it. So I love coaching that. Doing... I don't... I've really fallen in love with a bunch of different... Accents, depending on what the project is. I love doing German. And when I say doing German, I mean like this really burlesque over-the-top German that was done in Boeing, Boeing, and in Nympharent and these other projects where it's like, how absurdly German can you be? Yeah. I love doing that. I had to coach Welch um, last year for Henry Ford. That's beautiful and really fun. That's one yeah. that was a newer one that I really, really like. And then I love doing like Brooklyn and the Bronx. Those are really satisfying. Yeah.
1: to do. <laughs> um, what's, what's the hardest
2: Probably South African. I mean, as far as like accents that I could get called on to do based on how I look, um, South African. It's not as hard for a native British speaker, because there's fewer sound changes. There's so many, so many sound changes. Everyone is like a surprise and different from how we speak, so it's just a lot to remember and to let it drop into your mouth. But I had to coach Thai and Japanese recently. That was difficult. Wow. Um, I had to do Ugandan as well, but that made a lot more sense. That followed a lot of similar rules. Um... And I'm used to hearing more of those sounds. And, I mean, I work with this this Thai client, so I've been hearing um, Thai a lot. But trying to coach that, I mean, the the reality of being a white person coaching Asian actors on Asian accents that's not their own accent either. You know, it's a it's a very interesting kind of balance. Of yeah, I would bet. negotiate that. But you know, you go in and you're like, I'm aware that this is weird. Please tell me if this is. You know, we need to talk about this, and then everyone's like, "Okay, fine." It's it's we're all aware of the situation. We're
1: trying to figure this out. Uh (laughs) How much of mastering a dialect comes from character, and how much comes from ethnicity? With air quotes.
2: Um, that's an interesting question. For me, it's gotten so technical because I have to work so quickly now. Because I'll have someone. God, I had a friend text me on like a Wednesday night and say SOS, need emergency dialect coaching tomorrow, have to improvise in a Kiwi accent in front of Martin Scorsese on Friday. I was like, well, well I've got a very short amount of time to make sure I have a good enough grasp on this to give you skills to improvise in it. Um, And, and that was in Wolf of Wall Street, I believe his scene got kept, which is pretty exciting. That's awesome! <laughs> but um for me now it's become super super technical and then if I'm working on dialect with a character, I... You know, it's different when I'm working with someone than I'm working for myself. Because myself, like, my, my mouth works so quickly now because I just do that all the mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do love dialect designing where you're like, okay, this person is from here, but they've lived here. Or, like, let's do a hybrid of these things. And i had some things in the back of my mind that I, like, just did recently that that I'm gonna... that I, It's not copy to me. But uh, where... When you take something and basically say like how can, how's the best way to story tell with this, which I think is what what you're yeah, talking about exactly. yeah um <coughs> i I love that kind of thing, and I find it's that's um less useful sometimes on stage to do it too subtly because then people are like they're not really doing it this mm-hmm, accent, but mm-hmm. like to give colors and give shades like when I, I worked a lot on Josie Hogan in a movie from was begotten, and she's born in America but completely Irish, raised in an Irish community with an Irish father and an Irish mother. So, like, she's often played with a pretty thick brogue, but, like, when I work on it, I'm like, well, these sound changes I'm going to keep American and these sound changes are going to make really Irish and there's a kind of shade from there. Because that gives me juice and roots me in the material and yeah. makes me feel like I know why I'm chosen and in that way. Um, and and i found there's a lot of people who are nerdy enough to want to collaborate yeah. in that way. On I, I think that that that's really well. cool. I
1: hadn't even... Th- the idea of of making a hybrid of, of accents. Oh, yeah. Well, like, most people delicious. are...
2: Only actors, and this is the thing I say a lot in my coachings, only actors are 100% consistent. And you'll hear, like, a native Boston speaker say Boston or Boston. Like, you'll hear them say that. There's... I have this great... Um, when I recorded some people to get some source material for Kinky Boots, there's this North Hamptoner. Um, they use a lot of glottal stops um, in, in their speech, meaning, like, le'a instead of letter or letter um but she is there's this one sentence in this passage i had to read that's like um the woman gave sarah an official letter from the vet the letter implied that blah blah blah, blah. and this one speaker within basically the same breath goes the woman gave sarah an official letter from the vet the letter implied so like within the same breath she does a glottal <laughs> stop and a t and it's like well there you go like only in a, you can spot an actor because they're like too perfect almost uh-huh. You're like you've thought about it. it's so consistent like real people are a lot messier Especially a non-native English speaker. And that's what can be really fun. It's where do you get a mispronunciation or a misstress? Mm-hmm. You know? I think all that's really where the excitement is. It's yeah. not just like getting your vowels right. It's yeah. like getting the rhythm and the feel so that I perceive you as other.
1: Other than hiring you, which everyone who's listening should, <laughs> um, do, do you have any tips for actors who are approaching a dialect for the first time?
2: Sure. There's some... I mean, now that <laughs> the internet is so now that youtube and and everything is so readily available Mm -hmm. there's a lot you can do for self-study um youtube people i don't think use youtube intelligently enough i don't spend a lot of time looking for great clips sometimes i just kind of know what to look for um so if you go to youtube if you're looking for a particular accent especially in european and um like english-speaking countries if you look for like this thing called an accent tag or the accent challenge. There was a big like thing that went around on Tumblr a few years ago and all these vloggers did it where they read a series of words in their accent. And what that can be useful for is you find someone who's done that, but then hopefully they have other videos. They're like a YouTuber. There's lots of great... like. There's this great, a lot of people who do like makeup and things like that, they do tutorials. Um, there's this great girl with a really perfect Dublin accent, but she does makeup tutorials. So you just like watch a bunch of those videos hmm. and kind of absor- absorb and repeat. Um, uh, looking for leaders of a particular country giving a speech in English, that can be great because they tend to have a well-spoken um, but still thickly-accented version of the speech. Yeah. Um you know, look for like town meetings here and there. Uh, there's this uh, YouTube is is the best resource for self study if you don't, especially if you don't use IPA phonetics. If you don't read phonetics and can't like go and look at sound changes, that's the best place to start.
1: And for those who don't know, IPA is the International Phonetic, Phonetic Alphabet.
2: Alphabet. Yes, not not a hoppy beer,
1: <laughs> which which sounds good right mm, now. Yes, you've played with a lot of cool kids in the sandbox of life. I
2: have. That's lovely. <laughs> uh,
1: chief among them, I think, would be Ed Iskandar. Yes, my cohort. I want you to talk about the development of that collaboration and friendship. You sure.
2: I'd love to talk about Ed. So Ed and I actually got paired together together. Um, and one of those serendipitous happenstances that mm. can occur. Um, so I was a bat at the Flea, the Flea Theater down in Tribeca, which I love. Um, I was a member of their non-equity company for a couple of years, did a couple of shows there and then dialect coached a show there while I was still a bat um, that I, I couldn't be and I couldn't audition for because I was doing Rocky Horror. Um, but then one girl was playing like a German model. And then they changed it at the last minute to Russian. It was a new play. So they were mm-hmm. so they changed it to Russian. And she was having a lot of trouble with it. And a lot of them knew that I did dialect stuff. So she found me one day and was like, would you work with me on this? Like, maybe we could, like, work with it. Because there's a lot of people with accents in the show. So I ended up doing that. And so then about a year later, I was equity at this point and was like, well, I guess I'll never work at the Flea again. Um, I got a call from one of the people in the office saying... There's some people in the show that we're working on, These Seven Sicknesses, which is a big Greek thing, who have a, kind of a thick Jersey thing happening in certain places, and it really just doesn't sound like the way we want this classical Greek piece yeah, to sound. Yeah. Um, so maybe you can come in and help address that. Um, we'll introduce you to the director, at Iskantar. And I happened to go to... I emailed him back. I was like, this looks great. Um, I'll, I'll go to this rehearsal next week and meet him. But I happened to go to a party that night for Space on Writer Farm, and... Um, ed was there and my friend steve stout who has been at the flea as long as i have and has worked at the public and all sorts of places recommended me he was the one who recommended me for this project and he was like oh let me introduce you to ed so i met ed at this party that night and ed is this he's originally um from singapore grew up in england went to college in california and then got his um master's at carnegie mellon and he's been in new york like three four years he's marvelous. Um, and, and so we met, we, we, seemed to like each other. And then I went and sat in on a rehearsal. I was like, Oh my gosh, I love the way this man works with actors, um, especially younger actors, which is what you tend to get at the flea. And, um, we just realized we had this immediate connection and, and understanding of how each other worked and similar goals and similar aesthetics and, and, uh, appreciation of the work and senses of humor. And, um, so we had a great time working on that and then he asked me to audition for the further adventures of Hedda Gabler at Exit Pursued by a Bear he's like I think you'd be great in this track and I did that which was one of the probably my favorite production I've ever been in of anything Um, wow it was a ball. I mean Billy Porter was playing Mammy in Gone with the Wind and Jeff Whitty was playing Hedda
0: I mean, come
2: on.
1: Come on. <laughs>
2: Billy Porter accompanying himself with a tambourine singing a spiritual to end Act One. Does not get much better.
0: Uh,
1: yeah.
2: Yeah, it was amazing. So, um, and then we've collaborated a lot um, as as I've done text coaching for him. I've done dialect coaching for him. Uh, he directed me and Danny Girl again. And now we're working on the mysteries together at the Flea, which is the big project we have coming up this spring. Yeah. And it's just a delicious... Like, friendship. We really enjoy hanging out. We make each other laugh. And we really enjoy working together and hard. We like to work hard and obsessively long hours. And we, we love the work and each other. And I think that that shows in the collaboration. I think so, too. I saw Danny Girl. and yes, I, thought yes. it, I thought it was
1: lovely. Thank you. Yeah, I thought it was... And it was my first um, time degrees. experiencing the EPBB. Mm-hmm. And it's... A really cool creature. It really and, is. Yeah, just it's it's such an experience. If they're doing something and you're in the city, you should totally go and check it out. It is a beautiful communal experience.
2: Yeah. org.
1: There you go. For more information. For more information, check it out. <laughs> um, so you can currently be seen in suicide?
0: <laughs> I love that you say it exactly <laughs> the right way.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, for those who, you know, this is an audio podcast. Um, so... Um, suicide has an exclamation point and a question mark in the title, which is why I give it that lift at the end. Yes, and I
2: usually, like, raise my hands in a, well, I don't know, kind of gesture (laughs) as well. We'll see. (laughs) That's
1: exactly (laughs) right. Who knows? (laughs) Um, yeah, so you're doing that with Empirical Rogue Mm -hmm. through January 26th. Yes, indeed. Um, I wrote down from, I ripped from the website, Adapted from the Stalin-censored 1928 Nikolai Erdman play of the same name, Suicide, <laughs> pulls back the curtain on the desperate times and desperate measures that accompany a flailing economy. Mm-hmm. And you, um, and I saw this on Friday night, I'm just mm-hmm. like, following you all over town. I love it. Um, and you play the poet, yes. Violet.
2: Victoria. Victoria. Violet would be a better name. <laughs> it's just, it sounds like violence, which I think is appropriate considering how much eyeliner I'm wearing.
1: It's true. <laughs> my God, I can't get over that eyeliner.
2: I, just, I can't get it I off to my face ever. <laughs> I still have some on. <laughs> I'm like taking it off, showered, everything. Well, imprinted on my face.
1: Well, you were telling me when I went and saw it that you, um, that it was, ac- it was originally written for a man.
2: Yeah. In the, in the twenty seven twenty eight version as well as in the 70s. I mean, the play is written with four women and uh, I guess six men, but, um. And I think they originally had dudes come in and read Victor, as was the character name. And then I, I went in for Marguerite, which is this, like, sexy bartender, cafe owner who lives next door. Mm-hmm. And then I got a call back, and my friend Tim, who's the director, and uh, did this adaptation, said, like, i love you to come in and read for Victoria. And I was like, I did not read this play very thoroughly. <laughs> I thought that was a guy. Um, but then I was like, oh, no, I was right. Of course. I, I really... I would say, yeah, I've, I've carved a niche for myself by doing, like, multi-character tracks and playing parts originally written for men. But I, I enjoy it. It's really fun. Um, and it's it's fun to play someone who's just, like, unabashedly full of emotion and anger and, and it doesn't have to be, like, sexualized in relation to the main male character, which all yeah. the other women are, mm-hmm. um, just because it was written in the 20s and then adapted in the 70s. Like, that's just how farces still are written often mm-hmm, you know but mm-hmm. um it's really fun I really <laughs> really enjoy it
1: it was really fun you were delighted to see up there oh thanks and especially in the second act when you know can I talk about oh please so so the sec- in the second act they bring us out into the bar area of the Theater itself, and, um, and it becomes suddenly very immersive. Whereas in the first act, we're watching something, and the second act, we're like, we're in it. Yeah. And I've never, I've never experienced that where you get both. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of cool. Tim
2: likes to do that a lot. <clears throat> Tim, Tim Elliot, who's a director. Um, I just saw this production of Much Ado. He did the Cell, which is actually I, I met Tim when I was dialect coaching, and he was fight directing uh, and fight choreographing a show, at the Cell, like two years ago, and um, he did this production of Much Ado, which we did. We sat most of uh, the play in the like theater kind of performance space, but then we went <laughs> outside into the courtyard, where I'd never even been, and did the whole party scene and both of the gulling scenes of Beatrice and Benedict out there, which was really fun, because they could huh. use the trees and people's bodies to hide behind and everything, yeah, and yeah. then we went back inside, and I, you know, he enjoys doing that, and I think it works, because it's not too... Self conscious, it's just like this is where you are right now. Yeah, and since I can see you, I'm gonna talk to you and refer to you. You're a person at this party as well.
1: Yeah, you know? no, I loved it because I, um, it, it definitely makes you a more active For sure. audience member. Because I even, you know, the old man in me when, um, <laughs> I think some, <laughs> I think they warned us that the set that there would be a moment where we would be coming out into this space. I remember thinking, "Ugh, I'm gonna have to bring my bag." Uh-huh. Like, what? But I got very old man about it, and I was like, "You know what? No, let's let's do this. Let's find out what how this goes." And you know, it was lovely. <laughs> last night it
2: was so warm in the theater because they, they had the heat on them, and it was actually quite warm yesterday. Yeah. And so the stage manager turned the heat off when he got to the theater, but it's like a little hot box in there. It's so warm. You're wearing so many layers. I'm wearing
0: all of the layers.
2: I like come off stage and I start ripping things off. Um, but last night apparently it was like two minutes. Our, our stage manager gave us the like two minutes to places which is us coming and singing and the entire audience was still just sitting like catatonic in their chairs it was like who wants to move so he had to like get them to the come outside
1: I like, did feel like we were a little cat cooler. Yeah. yeah
2: it's funny yeah people are like what why why should I do that uh,
1: I'm so comfortable in this chair <laughs> I have a drink um they do let you drink during the show um before we get to the mysteries, yes. which I really, really want to talk yes. about. Um, you 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 just casually name dropped Billy Porter. Oh, earlier.
2: Well so you know, let that. me pick
1: that up. And <laughs> <laughs> could you talk? Like so you're the dialogue. Oh we haven't coach talked about King! <laughs> I was like, we like, should probably talk well, about that. I would think so. Oops. Currently running on Broadway. On the Broadway. Yes. And you're, you're the freaking dialect coach. Yeah,
2: it's pretty great. That's insane. It's
1: <laughs> like, a pretty sweet gig. That's a really cool gig. Yeah. Um, where did you enter the process? And This is a great story. I don't think I've told you this story. I don't think you have Okay, either. this
2: is actually kind of <laughs> hilarious. So... Um, I started taking classes at Mark Fisher Fitness. Mark
1: Fisher Fitness. Which has
2: now exploded. By the way, if you go to markfisherfitness.com, you'll see me on the splash page. That's right. um, Modeling one of their t-shirts. And my veil. As I (laughs) want to do. Um, So I started taking, uh, it was actually the first class at their clubhouse space. It was Mm -hmm. the first class they had in their actual space. It was like a three-week class through November and December. Kind of like a mini snatched class which you should look into Snatched if you don't know about Snatched. So um, I was taking the 7 a.m. class because that's all that was available. And I was like, I need to do this for myself. I'm going to go. And who's in the 8 a.m. class but Jerry Mitchell? Who likes to show up half an hour early to roll out but Jerry Mitchell? Mm-hmm. Who has decided she's going to stand in the corner, which the corner happens to be right where everyone else enters? Me. And I was like, oh, great. Jerry's watching me fail at a swinging this kettlebell. You know, and I, hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't met him before, but I was saying who he was. And then over the course of this three weeks, like, we met. We didn't even really talk. Like, he just knew who I was. And he was, um, oh, Jerry's so friendly. He's the warmest, you know? So I think, like, we friended each other on Facebook in, like, December, January. I don't even remember. <laughs> and then I was doing the show with Billy. Um, I was doing Further Adventures of Hedda Gabbler. Um And I met Billy on that project. And... I'm not sure exactly how it went down. I'm assuming that someone either told Jerry was a dialect coach when he was, like, asking about me in the clubhouse, or he saw on my Facebook that I do dialect coaching, because it Mm -hmm. always defaults to dialect coach when I'm not in a show. So then Hedda wasn't quite over yet, but I was, like, taking a class some some like 9 a.m. class and weren't that many people there We're all like sweaty and Jerry's in it and we're like rolling out afterwards and just chatting and he's like, am I right in thinking you do dialect coaching? I was like, oh yeah, you know, and I coach Shakespeare and audition coaching, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, because we're going to need someone on the show. Now, obviously, I know he means kinky boots because yeah. like I'm working with Billy right now. Like I know that that's the, they've just done the workshop um, and oh, my heart kind of stops and I think, am I getting offered my first Broadway show Like, with a lacrosse ball on my glute right now, covered in sweat. (laughs) Apparently, he's like, send me your resume, and I'll forward it to the producers. And then that was kind of that. So apparently he had asked Billy about me. He was like, I think I want to hire her. And Billy's like, you should. And then that kind of went from there. So that's how I got that job. Wow. Yeah. So... You know, and and the thing is, is like I've been doing a lot of production coaching. I was totally ready for that job. It was just kind of it never occurred to me that I might dialect coach a Broadway show. It was just I did dialect coaching as as something so that I didn't have to have a day job. Like and initially it was just to kind of make my soul happy and do something in addition to my day job that didn't pay me that much, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, then it became my my secondary job and and now it's like I can do all, I'm doing all sorts of productions and things like that mm-hmm. and I'm working on this new Malby and Shire show and it's like crazy it's just it's, it's the funniest thing because it just never occurred to me that that might be something I would ever do in my life or that it was something I might even want to do but it's such a good gig the family the, there at the Hirschfeld is delightful they're hilarious yeah. everyone's so cool so hard working everyone loves coming to work every day it's just like the happiest place to be you know yeah um
1: well it looks like a very happy show. I unfortunately have not had the pleasure of seeing it yet, but I hear I mean, obviously it won best new musical, yeah. so like there's it's it's a it's a really special thing and I know tons of people who just love it and yeah. who are in it, of course, and um no, it sounds sounds really cool. Well,
2: even for example, like Stark Sands is leaving the show at the end of the month mm-hmm. and um, they had tons of people audition for his replacement and they cast it in-house. They cast it with his first understanding, Andy, Andy Kelso, who I love. I love Andy ton, Kelso. And he's wonderful. But like, we were all like, that's just good. Like when you can, like, and uh, we've had new people come in and we're having, uh, you know, tons of new people come in. It's not like we don't want new people to come in, but like to replace your lead with someone who has paid their dues mm-hmm. and like done done the part a number of times and <laughs> who is, amazing. Like, it's just very warming being like, yes, we want someone to lead our company who, like, is already part of the family and knows what that is and can... It's just it was really exciting. Um, It made me feel like, yeah, this is is a cool family to be part of. It's really
1: special. Andy Kelso... Uh, starred in a concert version of my show, Talon back. Oh, marvelous. At Ars Nova a couple of years ago.
2: Oh, right nice. by my house. I love Ars Nova. Mm-hmm.
1: I love them, too. Yeah. Good stuff. Oh. So what kind of accents are in kinky boots?
2: They're British. Uh, Billy is doing a an RP, so a very heightened... Uh, we, we worked with a lot of I gave him a lot of female dame kind of sound clips. A lot of, you, and you, if you are listening for it, you can hear like the Maggie Smith in his <laughs> performance. You know, yeah. and, like Maggie Smith and Judi Dench and all these kind of like very hoity-toity kind of women because he is from Pittsburgh originally and and has taught himself to speak a particular kind of way and so he wanted to do that with this English person you know he's like I wanted to be someone who crafted the way that they speak and owns the way that they speak because they chose it and I was like mm-hmm. well that is a big thing in England uh, how you sound so yeah. that makes perfect sense and apparently some English people have come up to him and said they get that very clearly from his performance which is awesome and then um, the other accent uh, Northampton is where it takes place which is in the East Midlands so it's still a southern accent Um so it's fairly close to Cockney. It has some northern sounds in it, but it's not like full, in any way, like a full, like what you would hear in Yorkshire, like in Secret Garden or something like that. But it's got mm. notes of that. And we've kind of like scaled it back because it can be quite thick. But, um, Annalee Ashford and Dan Stewart Sherburn, uh, who play Lauren and Dawn are probably the ones using the thickest, closest version to that. But everyone mm. else who kind of pulled it back for the Midwesterners, if you will, <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. When they sing, do they? Um, do you have? Are there different rules for singing?
2: There are. We kind of we struggled with that a bit because it's a pop score, <clears throat> and you know wanted it to sound pop, but at the same time, you know these people are, are British people, so um, it kind of we decided that as long as each actor was consistent with what they did. That would be the rule we'd, rule we'd go by. Cool. Um, so Anna Lee is really the only one who sings in an accent. I guess Dan does too, but he doesn't really sing that much. The guy playing Don, uh, the bully, doesn't really sing that much at all. Um, but when he does, he sings in an accent. Anna Lee does, because she, she basically said, like, look, I'm going to get laughs if I use this accent, and I want my laughs, so I'm going to do it. But she's like, great. She's the best. She's great. Hilarious. And she gets her laughs by using her accent,
1: because she's a smart cookie aside from being the dialect coach of a Tony Award-winning musical... Oh, you know. You know, like you do. (laughs) um, You're getting ready to do something called The Mysteries. What is that? I'll tell you. Thank you. All
2: right. So, um, (laughs) you might have heard of the medieval mystery plays, like the York mystery plays. So, like, in medieval times, you'd get these, like, touring companies, if you will, that would set up shop and do these episodes, essentially, of Bible stories. Mm -hmm. There's 50 of them. They start with creation. They go through past resurrection to, like, you know, the last judgment. Oh,
0: wow. Um, Mm -hmm.
2: So, because the flea loves Ed, Iskandar, and Ed is known for doing these epic projects, these seven sicknesses that we did together was... Uh, five hours. The show was only about three and a half, but we, in the middle, like at APBB, we served dinner, Uh we served dessert. So you're there for five hours, but you're, it's a whole experience, as you know. So so he uh, commissioned a bunch of different playwrights to rewrite each of these episodes. So we have, I I don't think it's quite 50 different playwrights because some people have written two, but we have all these fancy playwrights who've who've contributed a six to, well, some, some like two, but like a two to 12 minute play for these mysteries. And it's going to be amazing. So we have like, Craig Lucas has written the temptation and the crucifixion. We have David Henry Wong, who's written Cain and Abel, um, we have Aaron Courtney writing like Christ and the Doctors. We have um, Amy Freed writing The Rising of Lazarus. Uh, we have uh, Jeff Whitty with The Last Supper. Oh my gosh. Uh, Bill Kane with The Resurrection. I mean, it is stupid. Billy Porter writing some gospel numbers for the Angel Choir. Why? It is no joke. It is gonna be. Insane. And so we did a workshop of it in December so we can kind of see, just so dramaturgically we could see how does this hang together? Because these people are all writing plays kind of in a vacuum. And so we want to see how do they all come together. And then we also did this as kind of a final callback for the actors, so we had two full companies. So, you know, semi-staged, they're all off book. It was insane. So now we're fully cast, 38 actors, oh which my- was actually scaling it back quite a bit.
1: I'm sure. Yeah.
2: But, like, we're really excited about everybody, and it's gonna be... Everyone's so excited about the project, and... I mean, it's, it's got to be great. There's so much energy in the rooms for those workshops. You've, you've got, like, David Henry Huang and Craig Lucas sitting next to one another, like, giggling like crazy in Amy Freed's play. Like, those kind of things are just like, oh, my gosh, what is my life right now? This is insane. What? It's so great. So it's it's been very exciting. There's tons of amazing playwrights whose names I just left off because there's, like, 50 of them. There's but so many. Oh, my gosh. And Chris Diamond, who wrote Danny Girl, wrote The Slaughter mm-hmm. of the Innocent. So he wrote this, like, beautiful play about, like, you know, a, a nine-year-old child... Uh, with Leukemia, which was Dandy Girl, and then this is, like, two assassins killing 10,000 children at Herod's Bequest. It's like, ah, it's nice to see the breadth of someone's work, isn't (laughs) it? But uh, it's very exciting, and there's so much good energy behind it, and the playwrights were really blown away because, you know, you write a 10-minute play, and you're like, whatever.
0: And then you come and see
2: these kids throw down, and the level of the work was fantastic. I mean, we have a woman playing Lucifer, and a woman playing Gabriel, um our Jesus I just love him he's just wonderful we've got a little person playing God it's gonna be pretty exciting oh my god yeah it's it's good. and he's fantastic like everyone is so good I'm very excited about it I can so tell I I just get in and like dig in with this text kind of unpack some of the dense text and also it's a fun challenge to help the actors who have like the guy playing Jesus is in something like 30 plays and you have one player you have like Craig Lucas's language and then another oh Jose Rivera wrote Garden of Gethsemane so you have like him just like swearing and angry and petulant and young and then you have like then you have Jeff Witte's language in The Last Supper which is just basically a monologue play. I mean it's so cool but to help the actors figure out how do I sound like the same person and not feel a little crazy going from play to play to play to play to play you know um, with all these different voices but you don't even notice it that much you're just like oh as an audience member you just take the ride I mean it's just cool to hear that different voice come through all of a sudden
1: so cool! It's really
2: cool. It's going to be very exciting.
1: Do the playwrights have any rules as far as?
2: There's been some talk. I mean, I, da- I know because <laughs> I'm not in the dramaturg meetings. Um, I just read the notes later. But there's definitely um, certain things about they ne- I think. I think when they commissioned the things, they told them, like, we want to use, like, these characters, Gabriel's the angel we're going to use, not Michael, that sort of thing. Yeah, like, so if yeah. you're going to write an angel character, make it Gabriel. We have Lucifer, we have this. We keep making Lucifer a woman. That changed how some people did, that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, you know. so they just
1: kind of, like, gave everybody the same toy box. I
2: think so. I'm not sure exactly. Well, and I think that they, they went away and said, like, okay, these are the characters I'm going to have so that you can, like, start looking at how you might cast, and then here's the play. Um... So, uh, and I know some people are rewriting based on what they saw at the workshops. they are like, oh, you know what? No, I want mine to hang together more with this in a different way. So I'm going to get rid of these characters and make them like this. So it's fascinating. It's it's a really juicy, juicy time.
1: I'm just sitting here smiling. You can't (laughs) hear me smiling. But I'm so excited. Like, that sounds amazing. I wrote down, like, the entire history of man's salvation in 52 episodes from the fall of Lucifer through and including Judgment Day. Yep,
2: yep. It's all true.
1: And it's all in one sitting? Do we see the whole thing?
2: We see the whole thing in one night, and there'll be dinner and dessert, which will be included in the ticket price. Um, Nice. Yeah, I mean, Ed was nominated for a drama desk for Seven Sentences, as well as Restoration Comedy. Um, and they were both this kind of style, where, like, Rescom wasn't nearly as long, but they added in, like, dance sequences, and, like, the intermission is, like, 45 minutes, because you're having dinner, and you're talking with the actors. And he also added in, like, they used all scissors Sisters music for Rescom. That's and awesome. so they had, like, this whole dance to Let's Have a Kiki that was unbelievably funny. So it's just, like, how can we make this an event like in a way that's not gimmicky because it's so from the text the way that Ed does it nothing that Ed does feels like ah great there's a I see what you've done there it's like no that makes sense and why didn't anyone else think of that before you did you know
1: he's very generous he's
2: very generous he's all he's he's magical (laughs) <laughs> He's just a magical, magical elf.
1: Well, as are you. Oh, gosh. A tall elf. I'm, well, so is Ed. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. So, The Mysteries opens at The Flea, mm-hmm. April 3rd. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Runs and...
2: through the end of May. I don't... I think there's a possibility of extending, but okay. we're definitely Cambridge running Frost. April and May. Yeah. It's gonna be... I'm so excited. We start, <laughs> we start rehearsals the 21st. Uh, we go back into rehearsals, so... Okay. Uh, but we're starting, you know, because we've all already been through once. So, some people yeah. are on tracks, they never looked at. They were called back for other tracks and we put them into something else. So it'll be very fun to dive in in a whole new way.
1: I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah. Um, well now comes the time where I set up the song perfect, and introduce the accompanist. Um, today's song is entitled cute white boy from standalone, my song cycle, uh, with Mike Petri at piano. Actually we are in Mike Petri's apartment. Right now, on his lovely couch. On his lovely couch, him and his wife uh, Claire carpin Petri, um, both esteemed colleagues and just awesome people and talented people in their own right. And they're letting us crash here for today's episode. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks, guys. <laughs> um. So, so yeah. So, so this is a, a brand new song I wrote maybe a week ago for for the song cycle, and this is a, a cool announcement. Um, I'm actually planning to premiere the newest version of the song cycle here on the podcast Mm. this season. So dates, venue, cast, who may or may not be helping me co-produce this thing, all to be determined. Stay tuned uh, for all those fun updates.
2: Cliffhanger! Cliffhanger! (laughs) Um,
1: So I wrote this song um, specifically with Amy Jo in mind, and um, she's just going to knock it out of the park. It's... um, because in the song cycle, most of the songs take place in one of three venues: either on uh, in a subway car, or uh, at a coffee shop, or in bed, and that's kind of where all of the songs happen. And um, and I was looking at my quota, and I knew I wanted one at least one more up tempo. That took place in a subway car. <laughs> so, Check. so as you, <laughs> so as one does, you know, I, I was like, "Well, let's go to Craigslist and look at the missed connections uh-huh. and and find find something that's worth uh, singing about." And that's where we came up with "Cute White Boy," and uh, I think you're gonna like it. Um, let's see another fun factoid: uh, January Fourteenth. Uh, which is tomorrow uh marks the 1 year anniversary of something news release yay 1 year yay. uh my first guest artist was Liz Asty do you oh, know oh i do very yeah, much yeah yeah nice. she's great uh who was just on NBC's the sing off
2: looking fierce
1: looking so fierce <laughs> and amy joe is my 21st interview oh, can you believe that my.
2: i know you're a busy bee i
1: have been i'm so honored Um, remember if you like Cute White Boy it's available for free download on my SoundCloud page until the next episode and if you'd like to request sheet music you may write me at joelbenew at gmail.com for a free PDF Um, make sure you visit amyjojackson.com follow me at on all things social media and you may find all those links and more on joelbnew.com while you're there feel free to click on the podcast donate link any and all contributions go toward production costs and are supremely appreciated Uh, subscribe to rate and review this podcast tell your friends all about it Uh, special thanks to peyton royal at website lines who does my website red scandal graphics who does my podcast logo and uh, Mike Petrie for uh, accompanying and uh, helping us uh, house today's episode. Um, so, last but not least, Amy Jo Jackson, thank you for doing this thank episode. You, this is so much fun. This has been a delight. <laughs> <As> <laughs> you a are bliss. delightful. Oh. Um, well, from from Mike Petrie's apartment, this is <laughs> <laughs> this is Joel B New
2: and Amy Jo Jackson
1: saying thank you for dropping by for something new. Uh,
0: on at 168th street heading downtown 3am nobody else was around he was drunk or just happy and sort of tipsy fine either way earbuds in I watched his hips start to sway if he was teaching a class on how to back up that ass, then honey, you had better enroll. Cause there's a cute white boy in a long black coat pole dancing on the one train. He had moves, ones that make you feel good and dirty ready to bust super smooth with his precise pelvic thrust oh my lord this scenario's unexpected very unplanned wait what's this one dollar bill in my hand I was a fly on the wall, I watched him rise, watched him fall, and almost watched myself lose control, cause there's a cute white boy in a long black coat, pole dancing on the one train. I have a weakness for all those white boy moves, especially when he's so dead. botched I'm alone He danced and ran And I watched Was he real Or a fantasy I created I'll never know But who cares I still got my private show Oh honey, thanks for the dance It may have not been romance